0: Welcome, listeners, to Out of the Box with your host, Jonathan Russo. As usual, today we will be continuing our series through the Marxist lens with Professor Clyde Barrow. In the popular mind, and I must say in my mind, Texas looms large in every aspect geography, economy, and culture. Texas is big enough to go its own way. The Republic of Texas is a real concept in the mind of many Texans. However, I am sophisticated enough to understand that Texas is not the cartoon cowboy hat or TV show character J.R. I know Texas is home to a diverse and rich population of Latinos, tech entrepreneurs, LGBTers, and smart academics. Over the last decade or so, Texas, however, has seemed to want to maintain the red meat image of the GOP. The Texas GOP has done everything from filing endless lawsuits against Obama to passing anti-abortion legislation and now fighting for serious voter suppression laws. Which is the real Texas, and what is going on with the legislature and the governor? Well, in this episode, we introduce some local knowledge. Professor Clyde Barrow, who has given us his Marxist insight into so many global topics, now comes home to give us a Marxist analysis of the state he is a resident of. Professor Barrow, just what is going on in Texas, and how would Marx
1: have reacted? I think Marx's analysis of Texas would agree with you on one point. There are really two Texases, and it's a Texas that's deeply divided by class, race, and ethnicity. There's the Texas of the Republican Party that controls the state government, which is essentially white minority rule. And then there's the majority of the population that lives in Texas's cities, which is young, educated. It is ethnically and racially diverse. It is secular, it is liberal, and it is overwhelmingly democratic. And effectively, a Marxist analysis would tell you that Texas is really a bellwether of the emerging class war in the United States. I would add to that Texas has become sort of the bell cow of the Republican Party. And so one of the things I want to do today is really focus on a discussion of the Texas Republican Party and the emergence of what I would call a Christo-fascist ideology. What's going on in Texas is more than just conservatism. Let me give you a little bit of historical background. Please. Texas started to turn Republican in the 1980s when Ronald Reagan was the president, and he gave a very famous speech to all Southern Democrats where he asked them to come home. He said that they were conservatives, that the Republican Party was the conservative party now, and that they belonged in the Republican Party. And you started to see conservative Democrats, the old Southern conservative Democrats, break ranks. By 1992, Texas was a Republican-controlled state. That was the first time that they managed to successfully win all of the Texas statewide offices, the governor, the lieutenant governor. They took control of the legislature, all of the executive branch officials. And by 1996, they essentially moved in a very different direction. And what I want to explain here is that there are really sort of two versions of conservatism at work. One is the kind of traditional corporate-oriented libertarianism that we would associate with somebody like Ronald Reagan. It's essentially a libertarian ideology, free market, laissez-faire. But one of the things Reagan recognized was that the Republican Party could never be a governing party unless it built a mass base. And the mass base that it turned to was largely the evangelical Protestant's sort of the deindustrializing working class on its way to becoming the lump proletariat, the disenfranchised and dissatisfied petite bourgeois small business owners and upper middle class whites. And those people advocate a doctrine that was often referred to as moral conservatism as opposed to libertarianism. They were more concerned with social, moral, and cultural issues, whether it be gay rights, abortion, same-sex marriage, the national anthem, the burning of the flag. And that is the group that actually won control of the Texas Republican Party in a very decisive showdown in 1996. In most of the National Republican Party, that takeover didn't happen until very recently under the leadership of Donald Trump. So in that respect, the Texas Republican Party has really been the bellwether or the bell cow pointing to the future of the Republican Party and some ways the future of the United States. Okay.
0: Now, how did they do this in spite of the tremendous migration of liberals and northerners into Texas, business industry, educators, tech entrepreneurs? Texas is a big, wide open, rich state. How do you create a crypto fascist group within a diverse economy like that, a big, big, big global economy
1: even? Yeah. And keep in mind, Texas also has one of the lowest rates of voter turnout in the United States and has always had so historically because it has had a policy of voter suppression going all the way back to the end of Reconstruction in the 1870s. So voter suppression, Jim Crow, what we call Juan Crow down in South Texas, (laughs) is nothing new. They've been suppressing the vote for a very long time, and it's a suppression that is designed to disenfranchise poor whites, African-Americans, and Hispanics, and they've been very effective at doing that for a very long time. So minority rule has been a way of life in Texas, really, for decades, for well over a century. But I also want to emphasize this difference between moral conservatism. yeah, Because while we typically think of libertarians and republicans, as being opposed to government. The moral conservatives share that idea when it comes to the economy and the regulation of business, but when it comes to moral conservative and social issues, they believe in a very strong authoritarian state to intervene in people's personal lives to regulate their personal behavior. In other words, right, to prohibit abortion, to prohibit same-sex marriage. And I'll go through some other things we can talk about, but it is a conception of politics that very quickly lapses into authoritarianism, and ultimately, I would argue, into fascism. And not just fascism, but a very unique thing that I'm gonna call fascism. And if you give me a minute, I just wanna give you some examples. I would encourage everybody, if you wanna set your hair on fire and read something that is absolutely horrifying, that will not let you sleep tonight, go online and read the platform of the Texas Republican Party. Here's why I call it Christo fascism. The preamble to that platform begins with this phrase, affirming our belief in God. It then goes on to say that we strive to preserve the freedom given to us by God, implemented by our founding fathers, and embodied in the Constitution. Now, what does that really mean? It means that their view is that the founding fathers did nothing other than discern the will of God, write that into a written document that is embodied in the Constitution, in which, therefore, the Constitution itself is an embodiment of the will of God. But it's not just any Constitution, as they go on to say. It's the Constitution as it was originally written, which evidently they understand. And it's essentially a doctrine in which it says, The laws of nature and nature's God are written into the language and intent of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitutions of the United States and of Texas. What that effectively means then is that it is God's law and God's will, as they refer to it, that rules over the entire universe. The Constitution is an embodiment of that will. All constitutions and laws must be interpreted through their understanding of God's will. Now, just imagine this. Substitute the word Islam for Christianity. And what are we really talking about? We're talking about law. the Texas Taliban, is right. what we're talking about. We're talking about a theocratic form of government in which all laws and constitutions are essentially subordinate to some interpretation of biblical scriptures, an evangelical fundamentalist interpretation. Of biblical scriptures. They even go on in another place and very clearly state that government is established under the natural laws of God. They oppose the concept that the state is sovereign over the affairs of men and family, and that is because they believe that religious law is sovereign over the affairs of men and family. And they even talk about, at one point, how the laws of the free market are equal to the laws of physics, the laws of planetary motion, because they all emanate from one source, from God. Now, what does that mean? That means that if you're a liberal or a socialist, and you don't subscribe to the idea of the free market, it doesn't mean you're simply engaged in a policy disagreement, It means that you are violating and challenging the very will of God. You're not just a liberal, you're a sinner. You're an atheist. You're a pagan. And as a consequence, they feel utterly justified in using the powers of the state to suppress you, and the rights of free speech do not extend to you under their conception of liberty.
0: Okay. Who elected these people? How did this capitalist society, this state that we always view as capitalism, the embodiment of capitalism, the oil gusher, the big real estate market, laissez-faire capitalism is always viewed as something in Texas. How did these people get elected inside of this very diverse group of entrepreneurs and other interesting people?
1: Well, keep in mind, first and foremost, uh, that we have low voter turnout. And even within that low voter turnout, it's asymmetrical among different groups of people. It's primarily white voters vote in much larger proportions than ethnic minorities. People over 45 vote in much larger proportions. People with income and money and wealth vote in much higher proportions. And essentially, you have a disenfranchised working class that young urban mm. voters, African-Americans, Hispanics, Asians, Asians, tend to vote in much lower proportions than middle, upper middle class and wealthy whites. That's partly the result of how the electoral system has been structured over many decades. And of course, there's vicious gerrymandering that's gone on now for several decades of Republican control. And so they effectively manage and manipulate the electoral system, just like any other authoritarian state, to make sure that the people who vote are them, are them and their supporters. Let me give you an example. If young people, African Americans and Hispanics, had simply turned out and voted in the same proportions as white, middle and upper middle class voters in Texas, John Cornyn would never have won an election and there have been studies by academics to document that, that if there had just been equal voter turnout among these suppressed groups, Republicans couldn't win elections in Texas. And so they have a vested interest in two things, voter suppression and gerrymandering of electoral districts. And if you looked at the electoral district map in Texas, you would see some of the wildest gerrymandering you have ever seen. They have basically divided up places like Houston, Austin, Austin. and Dallas to ensure that the people who are the majority in those cities can't elect representatives to represent them because they draw these sort of spiral districts that sort of carve out little pieces of minority groups and then overwhelm them with sort of suburban and exurban and, and rural voters. There's one district here that goes from the west side of San Antonio almost out to El Paso. In order to pick up all these rural, you know, backward voters to overwhelm the cities. And that translates into some very significant public policies. And I think if anybody who's watched the national scene has noticed, you now have states competing with Texas to see who can outdo Texas, Tennessee, Arizona. Georgia are some of the examples, and this is what I mean by Texas as the bell cow. This stuff's not being limited to Texas. It's sort of being exported across the country as they export the Christo-fascist revolution. Let's talk about some of the bills they passed in Texas just this most recent legislative session. The lieutenant governor who presides over the state senate in Texas was very boastful. They were very proud of themselves themselves that this is what they called the most conservative legislative session in Texas history. Well, one of the things they passed and the governor signed is a law that allows any resident of Texas to carry a firearm without a license or without any training. There are very few exceptions to that. And no background checks, by the way, either. Essentially, anyone in the state of Texas can now carry a firearm. And their rationale for this is that it better protects the Second Amendment rights of, of Texas residents, but they also argue it somehow protects the heritage of Texas. And one of the things about this fascism is that it's not anchored in real history. It's anchored in mythology. In an example of that mythology that you mentioned, this this idea, Texas is the Wild West, the cowboys. Well, I think anybody who's ever watched an old Western knows that even in the Wild West of the 1870s and 1880s, 1890s in Texas, you couldn't carry a firearm inside the city limits. Guns were seen as tools. You carried them out in the country to protect yourself against Mountain lions, Indian attacks, rattlesnakes, and to herd cattle. But when you came into the city, what were you required to do? You've probably seen an old Western, Jonathan. (laughs) Check your firearms in with the sheriff. (laughs) You can pick them up on your way out of town. So this notion that Texans (laughs) carried guns everywhere is a nonsensical myth. In fact, let me read you. A provision from the Texas Bill of Rights, Section 23 of the Texas Constitution. The legislature shall have power by law to regulate the wearing of arms with a view to prevent crime. The Texas Constitution has more restrictive provisions on the right to bear arms than the U.S. Constitution because it was written in 1876 and they were well aware of the dangers of unlicensed unregulated carrying of firearms. So this notion that Texas was a Wild West arm-bearing place is a pure myth. Now, how do you maintain these types of myths? Well, it's long been known that Texas has a textbook commission or a state board of education, which is, again, largely neoconservative, Christo-fascist, that you cannot use any textbook or teaching materials in a Texas public school not approved by them. And they just passed another law prohibiting the teaching of critical race theory, which I doubt that any of them have even (laughs) can tell you what that is. But they've also mandated the teaching of what they now call patriotic education. Well, what is patriotic education? It's this myth of a Texas that never existed. a myth that was white, a myth. That was laissez faire. They've evidently forgotten about the populist party, that was very powerful at one time in Texas. And so, effectively, what they do is, in fact, most recently, they eliminated all references to Hillary Clinton from Texas history books about U.S. history. And there are all kinds of censorship that goes on. And in fact, again, in the Republican Party platform, they essentially mandate that the educational system shall function as an ideological state apparatus, that it will only be allowed to convey a view of history and a view of politics consistent with the Republican Party platform. These are the people who want to talk about free speech and who are concerned about censorship. They go on to say they oppose all laws regarding hate speech and hate crimes. Well, why would they? Well, because they're the ones obviously engaged in the hate speech. So this is creeping through the society. It's creeping through our schools, or I should say it dominates the public schools. And it's designed to create uninformed citizens who've been indoctrinated into a certain Christo-fascist ideology so that in the exercise of their free speech, they don't even have the capacity to think outside that narrow point of view because they don't even know what real history looks like. They've been indoctrinated into a myth that some people call the Texas ideology or Texas exceptionalism. Wow,
0: okay. Why did capitalism and why did the business community, why did the general economy allow this to go on i still don't understand the wealth in texas i mean you fly into dallas you go into austin it's a very wealthy state i mean there's a lot of money there and money is travels internationally people go to europe i mean this isn't a backwards missouri district texas is a really wealthy place why and how did they let this control go to this religious taliban of texas
1: well, I think there's a couple of reasons, well, one very simple reason. As I mentioned, the one point of overlap between the old sort of corporate libertarians and the moral conservative Christo-fascists is their common acceptance of free markets. That means unregulated business, no environmental regulations, very low taxes, which is another thing I want to talk about. And so essentially, the corporate wing of the Republican Party gets its economic agenda, The rest of this doesn't really concern them, I don't think, because in their view, it doesn't really affect them or affect their lives. They can send their children to any school they want to. They can send their mistresses to get abortions in Massachusetts. (laughs) Uh, None of this affects them, but it's a very effective way of controlling the working class and of controlling the general population. And that's another aspect. When we talk about the taxes, Texas always bills itself as a low-tax state which is only true if you're talking about the wealthiest 10 to 20% of Texans, and that's because Texas doesn't have a corporate or personal income tax. If you look at the tax burden that is borne by the other 80% of Texans, it's as high or higher than you would find in states such as California, New York, or Massachusetts. So overall, you can create the image that Texas is a low-tax state, but in fact, it's a high-tax state when it comes to 80% of the population. It's a very low-tax to no-tax state for the top 20% of the wealthy and income earners. And as a consequence, that's very attractive to people like Elon Musk, who wants to come to Texas now because he doesn't have to pay either a corporate or a personal state income tax. So in that respect, they've been very successful at sort of keeping this libertarian corporate wing within the Republican Party, who's perfectly willing to look the other way when it comes to these more fascistic social control policies that are being implemented in Texas.
0: Is the Texas GOP concerned at all the people moving into Texas, and a lot of them from California, New York, Massachusetts, for economic reasons, it is growing. Are they concerned that this is going to, quote, flip the state blue, which has been something everybody's been talking about, you know, for the last five or six elections? And what they're doing is they're in advance setting up a dynamic that will prohibit that from ever happening. Are they concerned that the economic growth is going to create a liberal class?
1: I think there is some concern in that, and I'll talk about that in a couple of ways. In one sense, you could say that the people who are coming to Texas from so-called liberal states, and the biggest migration comes from California, are looking for what Texas offers in an economic sense. They're looking for the low taxes, the deregulation, the lack of environmental regulations. On the other hand, you have seen some very dramatic changes in Texas cities. People don't realize... Places like Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, and Austin are very liberal, very democratic. They're blue dots on a red map in the state of Texas. Yet, ironically, this is where the majority of Texans now live. Texas is an urban post-industrial state. And they have elected very liberal city councils and mayors mm-hmm. who have enacted very liberal policies, everything from banning a fracking within their city limits, if you can imagine that happening, things like tree preservation regulations, prohibiting the use of plastic bags in grocery stores, and many other kinds of, of very progressive policies. What the Texas Republican Party has done and that now other Republican parties in other states are imitating is that they have literally declared war on the Texas cities. Because in places where the majority has been able to declare its intent and to elect liberal, democratic, and even progressive people to public office, this has concerned the state legislature and the state's governor. So basically what they've been doing for about the last 10 years is stripping cities of their powers of home rules. They have passed law after law in every legislative session, stripping cities of their powers to regulate things within the city limits. They have stripped them of the power to ban fracking. They have stripped them of the power to regulate historical trees. They have stripped them of the power to mandate sick leave and family leave policies for businesses doing business in their city. They have stripped them of the ability to do plastic bag ordinances. And it just goes on and on and on where basically where liberals win in the cities, the state just takes away the power of the cities to do those things. And again, effectively imposes white minority rule on the very diverse progressive cities that you find in Texas. The question, of course, is, you know, is that dam going to break at some point? And as you pointed out, Texas is more purple than it is blue. It's within two or three percentage points of flipping in the other direction. And that's why voter suppression is so important. You know, the Democrats successfully stymied an effort to adopt Georgia-style voter suppression laws in this legislative session, the governor has indicated he's going to call them back into special session to make sure that those voter suppression measures pass. And he will keep calling them back until they pass.
0: Well, Professor Barrow, I can't say that this was an upbeat conversation. (laughs) I know that you live in the state of Texas, and we're just watching this horror show from uh, elsewhere. I'm not surprised. It is interesting, and the details you provided us are certainly bone-chilling to the core. Well, we'll just have to see again how this one plays itself out. You know, a lot to think about. Wow. Thank you so much for this enlightening episode. You're welcome. Listeners, thanks again for tuning in to Out of the Box with Jonathan Russo. Your input is valuable to us, and we'd really like to hear from you. Please send us an email anytime with feedback at ootbwithjrusso at gmail.com. And follow us on our Twitter page, OOTB with Jay Russo.
1: This has been a copyrighted
0: production of Grapevine Incorporated. All rights reserved.